Good morning. My name is Karen. And the Old Testament reading today is found in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3. Watch your steps when you go to God's house. It's more acceptable to listen than to offer the fool's sacrifice. They have no idea that they're acting wrongly. Don't be quick with your mouth or say anything hastily before God, because God is in heaven, but you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Remember, dreams come with many, case, many cares and the voice of fools with many words. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Sarah. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 25. As a result, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The others who became priests are numerous because death prevented them from continuing to serve. In contrast, he holds the office of priest permanently because he continues to serve forever. This is why he can completely save those who are approaching God through him, because he always lives to speak with God for them. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Jill. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke 11, 1 through 4. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who has wronged. And don't lead us into temptation. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you are a God who loves to speak to his people. And so would you help us today to hear what you want to say to us? Would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our minds to understand? More importantly, would you open our hearts to receive everything that you want to speak to us today? Through your word and by your spirit, we are open, longing, waiting to hear from you. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. It's great to see you this morning. Those of you who are visiting, welcome. Those who are watching online, thanks for tuning in. My name is Jason Jackson. I'm the associate pastor here at New Life Downtown. We are in the fourth and final week of our series to kick off 2020 called First Things. Uh, This series is about seeking God first in this new year. And it's particularly based around a passage of scripture that Jesus uh, told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. He said, instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Your version may say something like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is telling us as his followers that in the midst of all the other things that are going on in life and all the other cares and desires and things that we encounter, that we should prioritize God's kingdom and God's way of life, God's 
righteousness. And we thought it was a really great time then with this in mind to start the year talking about how is that Christians do that? What are some of the practices or the habits that Christians sort of practice or engage in that help us to prioritize God's kingdom in our life? And the reason for doing that, of course, is here we are at the start of the new year, uh, which is the time that most people are making resolutions. Or at this point, this is the time we're all breaking those resolutions. We're three weeks in and the gym parking lots are less busy than they were two weeks ago. Uh, because we recognize there's something about resolutions that don't really work. Like, they, they, we start off with just such high hopes and dreams, like, we're going to do this. And then three weeks in, life happens. <laughs> and we realize, oh, maybe this isn't the best way to sort of go about this. And actually, research and studies show that the, the better way to sort of approach these things is to talk about small habits, one of the things that we can do kind of in small ways over the course of time that is we think much bigger picture actually start to form us or form our lives in very different ways. And so we've been talking about some of the ways that Christians have done that over the years. We began talking about how we seek God through Scripture. How is it that we sort of read the Bible in a way that helps us to seek God and His ways in the world? Then after that, we talked about how do we seek God together? How do we prioritize the family of God and meeting together and our life together as a way of encountering God in our midst? Then last week, Pastor Glenn talked about worshipful giving and generous living. How is it that we prioritize God in our finances? What are some practices that we can put in place to say, God, we want to seek you even in the midst of this area of our life. And today we're going to talk about seeking God through prayer. And I grew up in a small farming community in northern Iowa, way north central Iowa, uh, biggest town kind of in our whole county. And the pride and joy of our high school was our industrial arts area. You know, growing up in a farming community, there was just lots of desire, lots of interest in the trade arts and the industrial kinds of things. So the advanced students in our industrial arts program were building engines and remodeling cars, doing advanced welding. There's a group that would build a house together every year. I mean, they were building furniture and cars. It was absolutely amazing all the things that were happening here. My older two brothers took almost all of their elective classes in the industrial arts area, shop classes. They were just feeling like they're bringing cool stuff home. They're learning uh, all of these different skills. They were already kind of handy to begin with and then picking up on all of this stuff. And so and when I got into high school, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I should do this too. Like, I'm not handy, so I should learn to be handy. I can take the classes right here. And so the very first class you have to take kind of the prerequisite is a drafting class. Uh, and so it's just like math and drawing. It's like, oh, this is great. I got this. No problem. And then I took my next class. It was woodworking one or introduction to woodworking. And I had to be, I like coming into class, I'm pretty nervous because uh, it just isn't my thing. I'm a total nerd and I'm feeling nervous coming to this class. And I, I sit down and the the teacher starts talking about all the things that we're going to do, and then he starts talking about all the tools that we're going to use. And he's not just talking about like a saw or a hammer. It's like this kind of saw and this kind of saw, this kind of saw. And I'm like, there are kinds of saws? And I, I'm, I'm getting nervous at this point. I'm looking around and I realize no one else is nervous. 
Like the teacher had assumed that everybody in the room had a base level of knowledge coming in. And it was really quick, quickly apparent to me, I was the only one who didn't. And so I did the only sensible thing that I knew how to do. I quit. <laughs> I mean, at that point in time, I thought my entire self-worth was based on my high school GPA. And I thought, if I take this class, I will not get an A. And there goes my four point. So I left woodworking and signed up for an independent study chemistry class. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you now that independent study chemistry class serves me no good. I should have stayed in that woodworking class. Things would be a lot better. But I was terrified of failing. I was terrified. Like, in this sense, like, I can't do this. I'm already behind. I don't know what to do. And so I just quit. And I think for many of us, if we're really honest, this is how we feel about prayer. Is that we feel like we're failing. We feel like we don't know what we're doing. And we feel like there, there's no amount of help that we can get to really do this. We don't, pray, we don't feel like we pray often enough. We don't feel like we pray long enough. We don't feel like we pray for the right things. Or we don't feel like we pray for the right things in the right ways. Or we don't pray at the right time of day that other people pray. Or we just look at it and say like, I prayed and just nothing happened. And so clearly I'm not good at this. Because uh, other people pray and things happen and I pray and it just seems like I'm talking into the wind. And so oftentimes we just give up. It's like, okay, I'm done. And we go on, maybe we gravitate to our other practices or we just, you know, sort of slowly just say, yeah, I don't want to keep showing up in this place that I'm failing. But if we're really honest, the truth is we're all novices at prayer. We all start at this place. This is where we all begin. Prayer is not something that we innately know how to do. Prayer is not something that's like you say yes to Jesus and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I now know how to pray, like the matrix. It just got downloaded to you, and you can suddenly do this. Like, I didn't know how to do it before, but now I have mastered prayer. And the disciples knew this. The disciples actually realized that in order to learn something, you have to have a teacher. They didn't know how to do it. They knew someone that did. So they asked him, teacher, will you help us? This is what they said to Jesus. They saw Jesus was praying in a certain place. This is fascinating with the Gospels that we constantly see Jesus doing this. He's constantly leaving the crowds, going away to lonely places, pulling away and praying, talking to God the Father. And the disciples are watching this over and over and over and over again. And they realize, this guy can teach us. He knows what he's doing. We don't. Should we ask him? <laughs> And they finally, they do. They say to him, one of his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't know how. We need help. This is where we all begin as novices. We need a teacher. And so what I want to do today is look at a couple of passages in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is talking about prayer to see what it is that Jesus has to teach us and hopes that will help us break through that sort of fear that we have or that sense that we have that we're failing at this to say, oh, wait, here's actually how we move forward in this practice of 
prayer. And so the first thing we see Jesus saying to his disciples, Jesus told them right after they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. He says, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Dad. When you pray, say, Abba. When you pray, say, Daddy. When you pray, say, Father. Later on the same passage, he says, which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? And if a child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? First of all, what children ask for fish and eggs? That's unreal. I mean, I, I understand like the dads aren't giving snakes and scorpions, but my kids are not asking for <laughs> eggs and fish. Cora every once in a while really wants salmon, but that's about the extent of where we get. <laughs> but the sense of the passage is this, is like if you have a child who's coming to a father hungry, wanting something to eat, wanting something that's going to be good for them, wanting, to nur wanting nourishment, which father is going to give them something that could kill them? None of us are going to do that. So it says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the thing we most desperately need, the person we most desperately need, to those who ask Him? Jesus teaches us to approach and to address God as a parent does a child. This is what he teaches us. And I believe it's the most important thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray as God's children. This is what he teaches us. If you want to tune me out after these next five minutes, it's fine. This is the most important thing is what we're going to say here. If you take nothing else away from this morning, Jesus teaches us to pray as God's children. This is the essential thing. This is the foundation upon which everything else Jesus teaches us about prayer rests is on this idea that we can approach God in prayer just as a child approaches a parent. And I know for some of us in the room this is really difficult. That that idea automatically sort of causes stuff to come up inside of us. And we say, yeah, but you don't know what it was like when I went to approach my dad and ask for something. Some of us grew up in households where we were told not to ask, where we were told not to draw near, where either explicitly or implicitly it was very clear that this was not a safe place. This was not a safe relationship. And so to hear Jesus say to call God Father can bring up all of this image and all of this pain and bring all of those things flooding into us. And it's so hard to sort of then wrestle with that idea. I think most of my journey in prayer is trying to actually wrestle with this idea. Can I call God Father? And can I believe that my Father is good? Can I trust that? So if that's you today, I think there's still a reason that Jesus uses this language and imagery. Because I think there's something for those of us who've experienced that, 
there's something in our bones that says that's not how it was supposed to be. That we sort of know at the very core of our being what a parent-child relationship is supposed to look like. And it may be that we only have bad examples in our lives. Or maybe all the good examples we have are external. Maybe you have a great example, and this is the easiest part of the morning for you, is to be like, oh, I can totally get that. Thank God that you had that experience. And for those that didn't, I still think Jesus says there's something in here because we know in our bones what this is supposed to be. And he's saying what you think it's supposed to be is actually how it is with you and God. That is how it is. Prayer is supposed to be about a relationship. It's relational. It's not transactional. It's not this sort of like, uh, how do I weave through this? It's not sort of this game of cat and mouse and what can I say and what can I not say and how do I qualify this kind of request and this thing and how do I say that so that this happens or this doesn't happen. No, prayer is a conversation that happens in the context of love. This is what prayer is. Think for a moment in those images that you have of how a parent-child relationship is supposed to be. Think about how kids talk to their parents. Think about it for a moment. There's deep affection there. When, my, when I come home from work and I open the door and I hear my kids yell, Daddy, and run to me, it melts me. When I come home and they're in the basement playing with their dolls, I'm like, where are they? <laughs> Please come. <laughs> it's the best part of my day, just hearing them come to me, running, yelling, Daddy. What if that's true for how God feels about you? He just wants you to run to him and say, Dad! Just, yes! And that can even be enough. Right there, there's deep affection. Kids are confident and bold with their parents. They do not mind asking and asking again and asking again and asking a third time and saying, just one more show? Can I have one more cookie? More sugar, please! Can I have more? There's just no filter. It's all out there, bold, just throwing it out, asking again and again and another time. Now, it's bold and it's honest. Kids, when they know that they're safe with their parents, don't hide their emotions. They don't feel like there's things that they cannot say. Some of us think that when we approach God that we, ha- that we can't say these things and that we cannot bring these emotions to him. We we've somehow believe that all of our prayer has to be sanitized. And it certainly has to be absent of all negative emotions. So we can't bring God our anger. We can't bring God our fear. We can't bring God our doubts. We can't bring him our grief. And yet the scriptures are filled over and over and over and over again with the people of God bringing these things to him. And him saying, yes, come to me. Bring those to me. Your emotions do not cast me off my throne. I am okay with all of them. We can come and say, I'm having doubt. Help me with my unbelief. We can say, I'm really angry right now and bring all of the emotion of that. We can bring all of our sadness, all of our grief, all of our lament to him. It is safe in his hands like a child bringing those things to their parents. We don't have to sanitize that away. We can trust him with it. Kids' conversations with their parents are simple. 
direct and honest and unrehearsed. And they also begin in the strangest ways. Think about little ones. They begin just with whimpers, right? Those little... And like within days, it's like the parents know what that means, right? And then they graduate from that into cries. And then they find their lungs and they scream and they never stop. <laughs> and it just keeps going. And then you know, maybe you get some grunts and some moans in there. And then when they start to learn to speak, like making sort of sounds, it's like not clear. Every other adult that comes into contact with that child, that they're, you know, pointing and oh, oh, they're like, what? And then their parent says, oh, they want this. What? No, they said this. They did not say that word. No, you know, that's what they said. That's what, when they, when they want that, that's what they say. This, this means that they want their pacifier or their blanket or whatever thing that they're wanting. It's like, Really? But there's something about parents that they know their kids, right? So they know what they want. They know what they're asking for, even when they don't know how to ask for it. Even when they just have grunts and moans and cries and screams, they know. See, prayer is not dependent upon our words. It's not dependent upon how, what words we say and how we say them. It's dependent upon the fact that our Father knows us. He knows us. He knows what all of the cries and the whimpers and the groans and the moans of our hearts are. He knows them before they even become words on our mouth. Jesus says it this way. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. They want to turn prayer into performance art. Be like, look how beautiful my prayers are. And I assure you, that's the only reward that they'll get. Oh yeah, that was a very nice prayer. Well done. That's the reward that they're going to have. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Not distant. Not someone you're trying to manipulate to try to get his attention. Not someone you sort of have to like, ah. And someone you have to wonder whether or not they're going to show up. The God who is present and when you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words that they'll be heard. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows what you need before you ask. I think this is why so much of Christian tradition around prayer is not about words. It's about silence. So much of the great works on prayer in the Christian tradition are about silence. It's about sort of capturing what the writer of Ecclesiastes said, you know, guard your steps and you go near to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So much of it is about silence because it's in silence that we recognize that maybe the most important part of our prayer is not what we have to say, but what God does. The most important part is just listening. And maybe even beyond that, more important than that, is simply being together. See, so many times we want to make our prayer something that we just has to do as a, as a duty. Like, God needs me to pray. God needs me to do this. God needs me. This is, I got to check this off. I've got to accomplish this thing. And God's like, I just want to be with you. 
Like, prayer is just us being together, talking, being present with one another. You have those moments with like a spouse or a sibling or a friend when you're just in the same room and nobody's saying anything. And it's just okay. When you're just fine, like the relationship is such that nobody has to talk for everybody to know what's going on. There's not this pressure. There's not this insecurity. There's not this like, uh, are they going to say something? Should I say something? Is it my turn to ask a question? Is it their turn to ask a question? It's not a first date, right? Those are terrifying. But those moments of complete and utter trust and comfort, perhaps that's the invitation for the majority of our prayer, to be the, parent, to be the child that crawls up in the parent's lap and just sits there while the parent talks, while the parent holds while the parent comforts, while the parent heals, and while the parent soothes, and allow our hearts to be completely open and entrusted to him. This is why in our emotionally healthy discipleship classes, we talk so much about slowing down for loving union with God. Prayer slows us down so we can just be with him as a child who's with their parents. This is the essential thing that Jesus teaches us, to pray as God's kids. Everything else rests on that. And if you think about how kids learn to speak, when kids are learning to speak, most of what they do is just copy their parents, right? Like parents are making these noises, mama, dad, dad, in this competition to see which one's going to be first, right? And they're just repeating syllable after syllable, sort of helping kids learn to speak. They learn to speak by mimicking others. I think that's honestly how we learn to pray as well. This is why for thousands of years, the church has prayed the Psalms. I don't know what to say. Oh, David was pretty good at this. Let me pray what David prayed, right? That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus, you're giving us words. That's why prayer books and liturgies and prayer apps and all those things can be so helpful because sometimes we just don't know what to say. And when you don't know what to say, you're not alone. And God is not angry or disappointed with you in any way. It's okay. But also when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he didn't say, okay, here's 10 points to have an effective prayer life, Right? He gave them a prayer. He said, okay, when you pray, say this. Just like parents to kids. Okay, say this. When you see an adult, say, hi, my name is Cora. Nice to meet you. Right? Giving them words. And he gives us words to pray. It says, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who's wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation." And I think what Jesus is teaching us through, here through this prayer is that Jesus is teaching us that prayer is surrender. That this, we come as God's kids and we surrender to the love of the Father. We pray, hallowed be your name. Uphold the holiness of your name so we surrender our self-importance and our pride. So much of my day can just be about all the things that I have to do. And that sense of like, and if I don't do them, no one else will. And if I don't do them, no one else will. And if they don't get done, then everything is going to fall apart. 
and nothing does. Because my work is not the ultimate work in the world. God's is. And so it's recognizing, no, it's your name. That's the biggest concern right now in the world, not mine. Your work is the biggest work, not mine. Make your name great. Hallowed be your name, not my name, your name. It's sort of getting against the Tower of Babel that lives inside of us. Right? And it's the Tower of Babel. They were building this thing to say, let us make our name great. Let's make a great name for ourselves. And God comes down and scatters their language. He says, no, 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 that's not what this is about. But later on, interestingly, just the next chapter, God comes to Abram and says, hey, come follow me and I will make your name great. They were trying to make their name great, trying to do it themselves. God says, no, 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 this is my business. What you should be concerned about is my name, not yours. Hallowed be your name. Surrendering our self-importance and our pride and humbly praying. We also surrender our self-determination and will when we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my kingdom grow and my will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Wendell Berry in his novel, Jaber Crow, has the character there talking about this prayer, and he says this. He says, this I thought is what is meant by thy will be done in the Lord's Prayer, which I had prayed time and again without thinking about it. It means that your will and God's will may not be the same. It means that there's a good possibility that you won't get what you pray for. <laughs> but if we pray for God's kingdom and for God's will, oh, that's a prayer that's going to come true. That's a prayer that we have whole confidence in because there is going to come a day when Jesus returns and everything on earth will be as it is in heaven. So when you pray on this way, we're praying, we're surrendering our own ideas of self-determination, our own will and saying, our own even perspective that we know what, what's best in any given situation. And we say, no, your will be done. This is even the prayer that Jesus prayed. So he's sitting there in the garden and he's honest. He's not holding back. He's not hiding in any way. He says, Father, I want this cup to pass for me. I, if there's any way that we can avoid the cross, what I want. Father, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Trusting, surrendering to the Father. We also surrender our appetites, our desires in some way. We say, give us today our daily bread. That we learn in the midst of prayer that there's all these things that we want, yet we come to the place of saying, yeah, but at the end of the day, I trust you to give me what you need, what I need. I trust you. Kids come, they have all of these requests, all of these asks of their parents. And a lot of the day is parents saying no. The kids trust. Oh, yeah, well, my mom and dad, they love me. They want what's best for me. And so they might squirm around in it. You know, God's not upset when we're squirming around. <laughs> Gets it. But there's a place where we can get to of surrendering, of saying, okay, I think this is what I want. I think this is what I need. But I, I also think and believe that you know better. So I'm going to surrender that. I'm going to surrender this to you. We surrender not only that, but we also surrender our vindication and our vengeance. See, there's something about us when we, when we pray, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us of our sins. 
When we're doing that, we're laying aside our attempts to defend and justify and vindicate ourselves. We're laying aside that sort of thought in our mind that says, you know what, we can make this right. I can fix it. Or we're laying aside the thought like, oh, I can explain this away. This is really not that. And that, that sort of sense that we have, ah. And for some of us, we think, oh, I can't pray right now. I've got to clean up my mess first. I got to fix this and I got to repair all of these things and I got to do a lot. And once I get it all cleaned up, then I can turn to God in prayer. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. All of that idea of vindicating ourselves and justifying ourselves and defending ourselves or hiding our stuff, no, we just come honestly with it and say, forgive us our trespasses. Most merciful God, the prayer we pray before communion, just laying it out there and saying, we can't make it right, but you can. And you can make us right all the more. That's what we desperately need. So we surrender our vindication, but we also surrender our vengeance. We say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. So we no longer seek vengeance, but we release it to God. We no longer look for our form of justice, but trust His. That we let that go and release it into His hands. We also surrender our own self-sufficiency. So there's a lie that we all believe that we've got this. Got it. I'm good. I can do this. Lord, I got this one. I'm good to go. When we pray, prayers like lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. We recognize that we need help to live God's righteousness. That we need help to live holy lives. That we recognize that there are temptations all around us. They abound. And God's the one who can lead us out of that. We've never been tempted in a way that God did not prepare a way out. So we find ourselves in this place. We don't say, okay, I'm going to do it. We say, God, where's the way out of this? And we all need rescue from the evil that is croaching in on us in this world that has yet to be fully redeemed. From all of the, snare, the snares and traps of the enemy, we have an enemy who prowls around like a lion seeking to devour us. And we don't believe that we can just take care of it on our own. Say, Father, deliver us. Rescue us. We surrender all of these things. The most important thing, again, going back to the beginning, is that we surrender them to love. We surrender them to love. We're not surrendering them to some sort of distant, demanding, mean, angry, despot of a God. We're surrendering them to the love of God the Father, the one who gives himself to us, the one who can be entrusted with all of these things, the one who wants nothing more than what is best for us and for the world and for our flourishing. We surrender them to his love, just like kids surrender the things that they ask for to their parents. We have to go back to the first thing. We surrender them to love. The other thing that Jesus says in Luke, he says this, he says, but I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. So Jesus not only teaches us to pray as God's children and doesn't only teach us to pray as an act of surrender, but Jesus teaches us that prayer is an act of love. That prayer 
is an act of love. This whole passage here is part of a longer instruction that Jesus gives about life in the kingdom. And he's calling his followers to live a life that actually emulates the character of God. He describes what God is like. The Old Testament describes God as someone who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithfulness. And he says, this is who the Father is. He's merciful and he's kind. And his followers should be those that embody this in our lives. And he's not just merciful and kind to those that we think deserve it. He's merciful and kind to those that we're really clearly we believe don't. He's merciful and kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And that troubles us a bit, if we're really honest. But he's merciful and he's kind. And so as God's kids, as people who are adopted into God's family, we're called to love, to do good, to give without expectation of return. And we do this, but typically we just do it with our friends and family, right? Like this group here, like these are my people and this is who I'll do this for. But Jesus teaches us to extend those things to our neighbors, to strangers, even to our enemies. To extend those things there. And Jesus includes prayer among these acts. He sets prayer in parallel with love and do good and bless. See, prayer is not just something that like Christians say we're gonna do when we don't know what else to say to people, right? I'll be praying for you. Like, it's, if we actually pray for one another, prayer is a way that we demonstrate love to one another. Prayer is actually an act of love. And as such, the primary direction of our prayer actually becomes outward, focused not just on ourselves, but on other people, of loving God in union with him and loving others reaching beyond ourselves and our, our immediate circles to those outer circles to even those that we don't want to pray for or that we don't want to pray anything good for, to pray for them just as Jesus prayed for his enemies on the cross. As he hung there, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a clue. Jesus modeled this, praying as an act of love. And when we do the same thing, we join him in praying for those who've hurt and betrayed us. We join him in that space. And sometimes in some of these relationships, this is all we can do. The relationship is such that through wisdom and discernment, we have to draw boundaries. We distance ourselves. But what can happen easily in those situations when we have to do that because of the evil that's happened in those things is that our hearts can become really hard. And if we're not careful, that will lead to contempt and hatred growing up inside of us, cause scales to form over us and begin to even impact our other relationships. And those situations when we have to distance ourselves, we come to our Father in prayer and we ask God to forgive them and to help us forgive them. And that doesn't necessarily mean removing all of these boundaries. Sometimes those stay in place for the rest of this life. But it does say, God, we're going to entrust our vengeance to you. And not only that, we're going to ask you to do good. Because 
we know that they're your kids and they don't know what they're doing. And we know also that we need your help in our hearts that we don't become scaly and distant and full of hatred and full of anger either. So help us, Father. So we pray as an act of love. And the remarkable thing is, is that this isn't just a prayer that Jesus prays on the cross. Jesus is constantly giving himself to us in prayer. Hebrews says that he is the priest who lives forever, and he lives forever to speak to God on your behalf. Right now, Jesus is whispering your name to the Father. Right now, Jesus is talking about you to God the Father. Right now, Jesus is giving himself to each and every one of us by praying for us, loving us by taking everything that he knows that we need and bringing them to the Father. He lives forever to intercede for us. So when we pray, every time we pray, we're joining Jesus who's already praying for us. And every time we don't know the words to pray, it's okay. Because Jesus is praying for us. And in those moments, we're like, ah, Jesus is translating that to the Father for us. He's praying for us. It's the way he's continually giving himself to us, just as he gave himself to us on the cross. So as we come to the table and we remember that Jesus gave his body and he gave his blood. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave on that hill in Calvary. We remember the ways that Jesus gave himself to us. Our invitation today is to remember Jesus didn't just give himself. He's continually giving himself to us in prayer as an act of his unending love for us, that he's praying for you. He's whispering your name. He knows what's going on. And we can come to him as kids. So as we come to the table today, I want you to take a moment, all around them, just close our eyes. And just take a moment to imagine yourself as a small child. And God, as the perfect good, loving Father that he is. And know that whatever you're carrying today, fear, doubt, shame, regret, anger, grief, hurt, joy, peace, love, whatever you're carrying, you can bring it to him. You can sit in your father's lap, talk to him about it, or not talk about it, and just be there with him. Pray that as we come to the table that you would see the father smiling on you. Overjoyed that you said, you know what I want to do right now? I want to go spend some time with dad. 
overjoyed that you came to his house, to his table, into his presence, to speak with him and to listen to the one who gives himself to you always in love. In Jesus' name.